Hello everyone and welcome to episode 423 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm your co-host and CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre, where you'll find writing courses and a wonderfully supportive writing community. I'm here with Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, author of da, 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 The Countdown da, Has da, Begun. Da. You can fill in the blank. Because you can't remember what I'm the author oh, of. Oh, I can. That so <laughs> I think that would be ideal. Actually, you know what? You're going to have so. to insert the name of your book here because I can't remember it. Um, hello, everyone. I'm Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, and I am the author of my latest novel, which is coming out on the 3rd of August and is called The Wolf's Howl, A Maven and Reeve Mystery Number 2. Dun, dun, yes. Dun. And... How are you, Al? And let new listeners know what the book is about. <laughs> oh, no, the elevator pitch. <laughs> you didn't tell me you were going to do this. I don't think I'm ready. Um, I am I am okay. I'm actually super busy, right, because I'm trying to okay. organise all of these various things that I um, – <sighs> because, of course, hello, new listeners – but regular listeners will know that I've been moving house and I it feels like I've been doing it for decades oh. and trust me, I also feel like I've been doing it for decades. But what happened mm. in the moving house process is that I got behind on everything else and so I'm launching The Wolf's Howl, um, A Maven and Reeve Mystery Number 2, on the 3rd of August and I'm about six weeks behind in my planning of what I'm actually going to do for that. But uh, quick elevator pitch. The Wolf's Howl is the second mystery in the Maven and Reeve mystery series. And in this particular mystery, Maven and Reeve find themselves in a wild and gloomy fife called Glorn, where nothing is quite as it seems. And they have to solve the mystery of a disappearing, a disappeared woman, a woman who has vanished, um, and unearth a nest of spies all whilst attempting not to get arrested for treason. So, Whoa. you know, things can go horribly wrong and, you know, cool. often do. Yeah. I'm very excited because I'm actually going to start reading it tomorrow. Have you got a copy? Yes. Ooh, that's <laughs> Ooh. exciting. I didn't know so that. I'm you didn't start put reading a photo up. Tomorrow. You didn't put a photo up on social media with, here's my book. Yeah, but Come I'm on, going Valerie. to, you know, like I've okay. got, I, you know. I'm going to tell oh, you, it's hard goodness. to get, it's really hard to get good help. That's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So um, very, very exciting. And we've got other exciting things in store for our community, which we will talk about very soon. But we first, will. we want to give a big shout out to CJ Fentiman. I love this because CJ um, is uh, part of the Australian Writers' Centre community. She's done courses like travel writing and creative writing stage one, and she's released her book and it's fantastic and it's adorable. The Cat with Three Passports, you should see. You should get it even just for the cover because yeah, it's, the cover it's is gorgeous so cute. So, so cute. So cute. Love it. I'm going to buy one for each of my cats. Really? Because you know, of course they because they because they're big readers. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so. And um, it's uh, it's I'm just so excited for CJ. It's a memoir. Now CJ moved to you know Japan and mm. basically started rescuing cats. 
Right. Which is like, no, you know, it's it's not easy. So she had a teaching opportunity uh, that came up in Japan and it came with two cats in the apartment mm. that she was going to go in. But she not only found that she enjoyed Japan and loved Japanese culture and started appreciating, you know, all the things that are in Japanese culture that we don't even think about in Australia. Uh, she rescued more cats and started writing a lot. And um, uh, just so excited for for CJ that she's um, released this book. How many how cats cool, does huh? she have? Well, I don't know how many cats she ended up having but because uh, I, I think you'll have to read the memoir to find out. Mm. CJ, if you're in, if you're listening and you're in the So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community on Facebook, could you just pop through and let us know how many cats you currently have? That would be lovely. But also in addition to writing this memoir, which, mm. you know, like I said, adorable, um, because she's done travel writing, she started writing articles. So she's mm. been published in The Daily Telegraph, The Japan Times, Caravan World, Australian Dogs. <laughs> um, so she writes about <laughs> dogs as well. <laughs> the Courier Mail, Herald Sun and so on. I wonder if oh, I can cool. get Procrasty Puff a passport. I think that would be really quite fun. Oh, that'd be cool. Well, Australia's really different to, you know, America where you can travel with your pets a lot more freely. Mm. So, yeah, I mm. wish I could, mm. I could get a passport for my cats. Mm. Anyway. anyway. So congratulations, CJ. Congratulations. And if you want to read the whole um, blog post about CJ's journey, we will put the link in the show notes, but it is on the Australian Writers' Centre blog. And you, I hear... Are thinking about writing about animals? Well, I, look, I'm inspired by my dog because, you know, he's <laughs> hilarious. So I would like to write. I did write a picture book about um, naming the dog because it was it was just a very funny, I don't know if you've ever, well, you've obviously clearly named a pet because you've got many, but yeah. naming a pet with a family involved is really um it's just a whole nother league of naming a dog because you've got to take into consideration everybody's thoughts on this particular event. And right. so it took us quite some time to come up with Procrasty Pup's actual name. And we went through, like the process that we went through was hilarious. And so I wrote a little picture book about it. Um, but it's sort of, it's one of those things where I, I really love it in the sense that I, I it encapsulates beautifully the process that we went through to, to do this. Um, but and of I, course, Procrasty Pup is not his official name. It's not his actual name, no. Um, mm. But it also showed me um, as someone because I've I've had you know I had my manuscript assessed by people who know what they're talking about, who loved oh. it and loved the voice and loved the humour and stuff. But we had a discussion, and it's not quite right as a picture book mm. at the moment. Oh. I need to. I need to turn it on its head somehow and I haven't quite worked out how to do that yet. And Ooh. once I do that, hopefully that will be, you know, the book about Procrasty Pop, but I have to come up with the right way to do it. That's very it's great exciting. I it's a great idea, but the narrative is not quite right yet. Right. Hmm. Okay. It's important oh, well, to, rec to, to recognise these things, you know, like as part of your writing process, it's important to mm. recognise as much where things aren't working is where they are. Yeah, definitely. And it's mm. also important to recognise that you might absolutely love your dog or your cat or your, you know, 
dad or whatever and want to write a book about them. Mm. Um, uh, but <laughs> you've got to act, it's actually got to be a story that other people are going to care about because um, if you're just writing about because you're so in love with them, it doesn't necessarily work that way or you want an ode to your wife or your husband or whatever. It doesn't necessarily work that way. No, it has to it be doesn't. appealing to and other people. With a picture book, the thing that I have re- begun to – well, it's taken me a while because I've written a few, but the thing that I'm beginning to recognise is the importance of the read it again factor in getting mm. a picture book manuscript over the line. So it's not just about something that's read once and people enjoy. Like because an, an adult novel is like that and even a middle grade to a degree, like the, uh, kids will tend to reread a bit more often. But with a picture book, it has to have – the read it again factor. It has to have that thing where the kids, you're going to get to the end of it and a four-year-old's going, going to go read it again, mum. So Yeah, absolutely. You want something that will be, yeah. that can be read over and over and over and over again. And, and that's what's not quite right about what I've got at the moment. I just, I've got to just figure out a way to get that read it again factor into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, no, you go. No, that was it. That was just no. like one of those uh, sounds. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> That was me just right. finishing up with it. <laughs> so um, I met this guy so once well. who was really in love with the, his dog, mm-hmm. uh, which was like a little Pomeranian or Chihuahua, like a tiny, tiny dog. And it was adorable, very, very cute. And he was so in love with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew this because at the time I was running a training day and it was in how to get um, media and publicity. And, you know, it goes like from 9.30 to 4.30 or whatever. Um, and he – but he turned up at like 1. I'm not yeah. sure – what he thought he was going to get out of only half the day. Uh, but he was busy in the morning apparently because he was the phone a friend for who wants to be a millionaire. And what? he <laughs> just as an aside. But when he turned up at oh, one hashtag he, I'm a phone a friend. He, you know, waxed lyrical about his dog, which was adorable. And it's almost like a lesson in what not to do in self-publishing. So this wasn't a mm. book, but he loved his dog so much that he made a calendar. Right. And he made this calendar full of pictures of his dog. Now, you've got to remember that no one's going to love your dog as much as you. So not everyone wants a a calendar of your dog. (laughs) They probably want a calendar of their dog. And um, the reason he was attending the uh, training day, because he wanted to get publicity, because he had ordered, wait for it, Mm. 20,000 copies of this calendar. What? (laughs) Yes. 20,000? Uh-huh. Wow. <laughs> wow. And um, anyway, I hope he took a lot from the seminar and was able one to year? move. Like for the same, like was it a, that's, Was it one of those perpetual calendars or was no. it like a 2020 calendar? It was for the following year. So that's the thing. He should have made it maybe a coffee table book or something that had a little bit more longevity. But he was saying that 20,000 were on the ship from China or wherever he got them printed and they were going to land in his garage very soon. So just remember, everyone. Now, I suspect he didn't sell 20,000. Mm, um, I suspect you know, that this, he's probably wallpapered his house with them. Yes. So just because you love something a lot doesn't necessarily mean everyone else is going to. You've got to find that thing that's going mm, to make mm, them engage universal. or read it again or I made, for, to, I for made them to a relate to it. I made a 
calendar last year um, <laughs> for Christmas presents and I made three of them. <laughs> and I think that's about as many. I mean, you know what? If you guys uh, want a Procrasti Pup calendar for 2022, you just need to hit me up, let me know. <laughs> I can put an order together. We can sort that out. But, like, realistically, I'm pretty sure that it's just, you know, me and my mum and one other family that's obsessed with him. That's it. <laughs> Maybe we can do a swap because I've got a Rexy calendar. <laughs> oh, God. Guess what I'm getting for Christmas, everyone. Yes. <laughs> All right. Now, we are so excited because we've got a fantastic live event taking place with all of you guys on Wednesday the 28th of July at 7.30pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. We're going to be bringing wine or some kind of beverage. We're going to be bringing prizes. We're going to be bringing words. We're going to be bringing special guests. We're going to be bringing fantastic party, 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 party to you. Yes, we we? are. We're going to bring all of those things. Actually, you know what? We're going to bring all of the things and we're going to bring our own wine or beverage of choice but everyone who comes needs to also bring their own beverage of choice because it's very hard for us to share those with you via zoom Mm, however mm. bring a cup of tea that's what you like yes bring your own beverage it doesn't have to be alcoholic but alcohol is completely allowed so Mm. we're gonna it's called the so you want to be a writer block party and it's going to be a lot of fun and um, if you uh, want to come it's all on zoom make sure you rsvp uh, at writerscenter.com.au slash party that's writerscenter.com.au slash party and here's a tip yes here's a tip here's a tip where your best party hat. Oh, yeah, cool. Wear your I best even know party I hat. Have a hat. Mm, Just have find a one. Something okay. with a bit of sparkle. I think would be nice. All right. Yeah. All right. Mm. That's a great idea. Great idea. Mm. Um, we'll put more details, obviously, in the Facebook group as well. So if you're mm-hmm. not already a member of the Facebook group, just search for So You Want to Be a Writer Listener Community on Facebook and request to join. It's free to join. We'd love to have you in there. Now, Our competition, we have three copies of the latest novel by Matt Nabel called Still to Give Away. Now, you may remember that we spoke to Matt Nabel with his last book on episode 59. You may remember (laughs) that Valerie loves Matt Nabel. You may remember that there was discussion of a crush on Matt Nabel. Do you recall that? I no, recall that. I'm a professional. You might want to have another listen to episode 59, Val, just to kind of get the full <laughs> flavour of that. But it was a very good book. I do recall the, it the book. It was a very good and book. And it was a very good book. And I remember people emailing us afterwards and they had used it for their book club and, um, mm. you know, and it really enjoyed the book. Anyway, this book is called Still. Senior Constable Ned Potter looked down at a body that had been dragged from the shallow marshland. He didn't need a coroner to tell him it was a bad death. He didn't know then that this was only the first or that he was about to risk everything looking for answers. So... Lots of twists and turns in this book. Still is an evocative page-turning thriller from a brilliant Australian writer. If you loved The Dry and Scrublands, you'll love Still. So just go to writercentercomau slash win. Uh, entries close on the 2nd of August and you could win one of three copies. So that's writercentercomau slash win. Now, Al, with the party hat, are you ready for the word of the week? 
well, you know, I guess if I'm wearing a party hat, how could I be anything but ready for the word of the week, right? <laughs> Proselyte. Do you know hmm. that? Proselyte. No. P-R-O-S-E-L-Y-T. Proselyte. No, I don't know that. Okay. It's a noun and it is someone who has come over or changed from one opinion, religious belief, sect or the like to another. So, in other words, a convert. Proselyte. Mm. So, for examples, you may often see writers become proselytes to planning rather than pantsing their novels. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. You may, you may see that. M- many may do. Not. Many, many do. do mm. As they once, go on. Once you have to start to produce them on a regular yeah. timetable, yes, you will see many do. I haven't learned that lesson properly yet, though. But, you know, <laughs> one day, one day my ship will come in. And that was the word of the week. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1, is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You only need a couple of hours a week and you'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course. Whether your goal is to write a bestseller or simply tell better stories, learn at home with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash creative writing. All right. Are you ready for our writer in residence this week, Al? I'm always ready for the writer in residence (laughs) and I say that with absolute enthusiasm. I don't even have to pretend. (laughs) All right, so we are talking to Max Barry, and his latest book is The 22 Murders of Madison May, which is very, very intriguing, and the premise is very, very unusual. So he has authored uh, numerous books, including Jennifer Government, Company, Lexicon, Providence, and I remember reading his first book way back when, uh, and it was called Syrup. And um, Mm -hmm. I love his story into, you know, um, getting into writing. So let's have a listen to Max Barry. Thanks so much for joining us today, Max. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Congratulations on The 22 Murders of Madison May. As soon as I heard about this book and as soon as I saw the cover, I was intrigued. Now, for listeners who haven't got their own copy yet, can you tell us what it's about? Okay, yeah, it is a great cover. Um, Obviously, I had very little to do with it. Um, It's (laughs) one of those things where occasionally you just get blessed with a terrific cover by the publisher. So not quite sure what I did to deserve that, um, but it happened. Um, the story is about a serial killer who stalks the same woman across multiple versions of her life. So he has um, fallen in love with her, in at least in his own head, um, in one particular uh, version of reality. Um, and he stumbles into um, a way to move into different versions of, of the world. And he follows his obsession um, from one to the next. Uh, and there is a, a character, Felicity Staples, who is a reporter who sort of Uh, becomes aware of what's happening and is drawn into the attempt to stop him. Now, that's pretty out there. How in the world did this idea form? Okay, so it's basically a a what-if story. Um, And there's plenty of those around in science fiction. The idea of of a multiverse where there's a billion, trillion different versions of the world and they're all slightly different from one another 
is um, an idea that I've always found intriguing. And <laughs> I think um, probably also, I'm, I'm 48 now, so I've, I've been doing this a while and I've reached a point in my career where in my 20s and 30s, I kept waiting for this whole thing to disappear, for my, my, the bottom to fall out of what I was doing as a full-time job. And I'd have to go back and, and, and crawl back to the people who employed me back in my, my youth and, and ask for my real job back with a desk and, and an office. <laughs> Um, so it all seemed very fragile and now sort of I'm at the point where I think I think I'm, this is actually what I'm going to be doing um, and I have a family I, I'm quite um, set now in terms of where I am and, and what I do so um, I think I naturally started to look back and think about what got me here and, and just wonder how many of the decisions I made earlier had led to this moment which of them seemed small at the time but actually turned out to have important consequences that I couldn't have foreseen, um, which of them were sort of inevitable. Um, yeah. And so that was the basic idea that got me playing around in this space. So firstly, are you telling me that it's taken you two decades to finally come to the conclusion, oh, yes, I'm an author? Uh, no, I think I'm, I'm comfortable with the idea that I'm an author now. I've just never mm -hmm. been comfortable with the idea that I'll be able to continue being an author. Ah. Um, which is, you know, just the, the practical reality of it. I mean, I've been extraordinarily lucky in my career in that I managed to get picked up by a, a US publisher who uh, exposed me to a much bigger market that I would have had just been published here in Australia. Uh, so that has allowed me to do this for a long time now. But uh, yeah, it's still precarious. I mean, every book um, I've written, except for this one, actually, this is the first time I've ever written a book uh, and I had a, a contract with the publisher before I wrote it. Um, so every other time I've just written a book and then sent it off to my mm. agent and waited to find out whether it was um, terrible or not. And <laughs> yeah, and I, I never know. I, I still wait to hear back whether they think this book is terrific or whether they need to have a gentle conversation with me and say, uh, Max, you know, I, I think this is really interesting, but, um, but it's maybe <laughs> time to look at what else we could do. Have you ever had that conversation with your agent? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have. Um, like he's, He's so sweet um, and he's so lovely about it. Um, it's, you know, the gift that these people have where they, they manage to let you down in such a positive way. Um, I'd love to be broken up with by this guy because he's, he's just so, so good at it. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's just, you know, he's told me in the past that um, he uh, thinks I'll do great things in this space, but this isn't the book to do it. Right. Okay. So you said that um, you've been you've thought about some of the, the big and small decisions that have led you to where you are to where you are today. Can you give us an example or an indication of some of those decisions that you know were the sliding doors moments and which have led you to where you are today? Yeah. Well, I, I do think a lot of them you probably can't see even in retrospect. There, there were probably lots of little moments where. I went and watched a movie or I picked up a mm. novel that ended up being quite influential later on. And, and I didn't even really notice at the time. Uh, the big one though, was uh, when I decided to try writing full time, which um, was kind of a shock to my, my parents at the time where I, I was employed as a sales representative for a big uh, tech company and I had medical benefits and what seemed at the time to be a pretty stable job, uh, the kind of job where you would work there for 20 or 30 years and, and, uh, retire at the end of it. Um, now, as it turned out, uh, those jobs sort of all went up in smoke um, over the ensuing decades. And a lot of the people I worked with who who stayed there uh, were made redundant or shifted somewhere else uh, or, or left for their own reasons. But but yeah, at the time I was uh, I was 23. I'd been writing 
a novel in my spare time, in my lunch breaks, uh, in my car. And mm. I had this sort of overblown confidence that I could make a, a full-time living at it. Uh, so my wife wanted to move from Melbourne to Perth and be with her family. And so we made this wild decision to go um, just move to Perth and, and I would try writing full-time for a couple of years and, and try to see if I could actually make a living out of it. Um, so this is, I mean, people, people have asked me like, you know, how did you know that would work out? And I think that I, I obviously had no idea. And if I'd looked at it rationally, I would have decided, well, you know, realistically, the odds of this working are pretty low. So I, I really shouldn't make such a, a gamble uh, when the chances of success are so bad. But I do think sometimes you need to do that. And, and probably in the, the foolishness of youth is the best time to do it, where you don't really understand how ridiculous something is and how how impossible it should be. So you just go for it. And because you're not really aware of how likely failure is, you end up succeeding. Well, let's just take us back to that time because, uh, and because I do want to talk about the, the current book, of course, but I just want to give listeners some context as to where you've come from. You've mentioned you worked for like a big corporate, a big tech company. Um, I think that I interviewed you for the first time back in, I mean, you probably don't remember it. I can barely remember it because it was so long ago, back in 1999 um, when Syrup came out because I remember reading Syrup and absolutely loving it and thinking I I have to talk to this guy and fortunately I had a great excuse because I was the features director at Clio at the time so I'm pretty sure I interviewed you something to do with Clio and I remember you talking about um, writing in in your car in your in your lunch bags lunch breaks and I thought that was um pretty cool um so you you release syrup and what happened after that? Did you kind of think, yep, this is it. I am going to, um, did you have a part-time job or, or, or did you decide to plunge into it full-time at that point? Uh, well, first of all, I can't believe that you interviewed me 22 years ago. That's, <laughs> yeah. That is amazing. Um, yeah. And thank you for that because uh, yeah, that was, that was a magic time. That was my first mm -hmm. book had, had been picked up by a publisher um, it was being published overseas, so I was um, I was so excited with the mm. idea of being published in New York and getting um, reviews in in newspapers overseas and things. That was that was amazing. So um, yeah, it happened it happened really quickly. Uh, I just after Syrup was published, it was sort of my my first collision with reality because at that mm. point, um, just before the book was published, I was feeling like you know, everything had gone so well that it was just going to continue doing that forever. And surely my book would come out and become a mega bestseller. And uh, it would, my, my life would just continue on this ridiculous upward trajectory. Uh, and what actually happened is, um, despite uh, publicity from people like yourself, um, <laughs> the, the book just sank without a trace and sold a grand total of about three copies worldwide. So um, that was... I loved it. I loved that book. Oh, thank you. Like, yeah. It's a cult classic, they call it, because it was um, really enjoyed by all three people who read it. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's, um, yeah, I mean, that was sort of a wake up call in the sense that when you're a new author, uh, you can't just expect that people will discover you and read your book just because you've had something published. There are a lot of authors out there having their book published and you need to actually do a bit of marketing and, and find some way to get people at least aware of the fact that you exist. 
um, which I sort of handled better, I think, for my second book, um, which was Jennifer Government. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, I mean, I had such a, a dream uh, introduction into the publishing world because it was uh, a sort of um, plucked from obscurity. And I think it was, it was kind of um, a great confluence of fortune in that I had tried to get published in Australia just by sending Syrup, the manuscript, around to various publishers. And um, because I was young and impatient, I also sent it off to some publishers, uh, sorry, some agents in the United States. Mm. And um, the Australians uh, at the time would look at uh, directly submitted manuscripts. So they would like take three months, four months to write back, but they would actually look at it. Whereas the agents in the US would reject you within a matter of weeks. So I managed to burn through quite a few US agents quite quickly. Uh, <laughs> and then all of a sudden get picked up. And I think because I had not been published in Australia, I was just sort of this unknown quantity who um, had appeared on their radar from overseas. Then I was a mysterious like black box that could have been anything. So I think it actually added to my appeal that I didn't have a, a mediocre Australian sales record behind me. I was just a, yeah, a, a, a mystery quantity. Yes, because I did wonder if you were real because your the name was slightly different, I think, on the cover. And I, and I thought, is this guy for real <laughs> that's yeah, also it, part of the reason I wanted to talk to you yes the double x for the first one which uh, because the book is a satire of the marketing industry I thought oh gee it would be funny if like the characters in this book I put an extra x in my name and you know people yes. will see that you know I'm, I'm trying to sell myself just like these characters uh, now what I failed to realize of course was that that's only funny if you read the book first so <laughs> everyone else just saw the the name on the cover and thought what a pretentious wanker I won't bother to pick this up <laughs> so I didn't really think that one through but yeah that that's the reason there's the extra x in book one all right so fast forward to today to the 22 murders of Madison May now <laughs> multiple dimensions, multiple universes, you know, different storylines. How in the world did you keep track of everything? Did you already have it clear in your head what was going to happen and how it was going to play out? Or did you just start writing and kind of hoped, hope that it was going to work out in the end? Yeah, mostly the second one. I do tend to really? just throw myself into a scene or an idea without having any idea of where it'll end up. Um, that that is just sort of the way that I get started. It's like a, it's. I wouldn't recommend this process to anyone. It's just what I do. Um, I just write the first chapter of something um, a dozen different times, and and don't really try to do anything other than find some sequence of words that I find interesting. Whether it's a character interaction, um, a relationship, a situation, just just anything. Um, and a lot of the time I'll spend years going around and around on the same sort of idea, just knowing that there's something interesting there, but not knowing what it is. So once it, um, it breaks out of that state, if it, if it ever does, that's mm. when um, I start to plan. And so if I get to about 20 or 30,000 words on a book, then um, especially as I've gotten older, I do tend to plan it a bit more and think about, you know, how is this going to play out over the whole course of the novel? But until that point, yeah, I, I mean, I, over my career, I've written in a, a bunch of different genres, which is um, probably a terrible decision commercially because I, I don't really build a brand in any one space. <laughs> um, but it's what I love to do with writing. I like to find something new and, and discover something. So the start of a novel for me is always the process of learning to write that book all over again. And I feel like a complete novice every time. Like I have to 
reinvent everything um, and figure out how to write a novel again. Um, but that's fun. You know, that's what I really enjoy. So um, at least most of the time. So, so that's the way I work. All right. So you get to 20 or 30,000 words as you kind of write your way into when you feel your way into this novel and then you start planning. So especially with something like this that has potential to be so complicated uh, and so much potential to write yourself into a corner, what kind of planning did you do once you got to the 20, 20 to 30,000 word mark? Um, and how did you plan like Excel spreadsheet, index cards, Scrivener, you know, that sort of thing, practically speaking? Okay, well, practically speaking, it's just notes in a Word document. Not sorry, not a Word document. I don't use Microsoft products. Um, in a in a word processor. Right. Um, so I don't use any fancy tools for planning. Um, I do at that point. I mean, it's a process of trying to figure out what the important thing about the story is. So mm. I'd figured out fairly early that the important thing about this story was not the mechanics of exactly how people move from one dimension to the other. It was the fact that there were a couple of interesting people in interesting situations where there's the character of Felicity who is um, unhappy or at least not really sure if she's made the right decision about her career, uh, who feels the same way about her partner where she's, she's happy, but she also wonders um, whether she's happy enough to stay with him for life. Um, there's the um, character Madison May who uh, is also starting out in life, but could have gone down one path or could have gone down another. So it was, yeah, looking at the parts of the, like the messy early chapters that I wrote and thinking about what do I care about in this story the most? And mm -hmm. then exploring where those would take me if I continue to, to um, tease them out. Uh, so there is, yeah, there's a fair bit of science fiction in the background in that I had to come up with very strict logical rules about how it works. Um, yeah. It's gotta be, a, you know, there's gotta be a set of, okay, you can only move from one life to the next under these circumstances uh, because, you know, there's, there's always got to be that, that logic, that rigorous logic to a, a science fiction story. Um, and so, yeah, once I sort of figured out what would make sense um, and then explore the implications of that, then, yeah, I mean, it's, it's essentially just a lot of writing down of ideas and then mm. reworking those ideas and making endless notes in a document. Um, and then hopefully some of those notes actually contribute into the final book. So in building, in determining the rules of this, of the world or worlds, um, did you have like a rule book or something so that you didn't forget and you didn't write the wrong thing further down the track? Yes, I did have um, a big set of rules. Um, the one thing that I found really surprising about this was I had gone into the story thinking that the whole multiverse idea was just one of those science fiction things like, you know, not real, but uh, an interesting idea to play around with. And as I was doing research, I found that the multiverse is actually very credible, like to the point where we probably are in a multiverse. We'll, we'll never be able to see any of those other dimensions, but it, um, you basically would need more evidence to justify the theory that we're not in a multiverse at this point than that we are. So hmm. um, yeah, it's actually more grounded than I expected when I got into it. Um, it's, yeah. <laughs> uh, so the, um, the process of writing it, I mean, I think because I planned out this book a bit more than I usually do, um, and that was mm. the case with my previous novel as well, Providence, where, again, I got sort of 20, 30,000 words in and was then able to think about how the whole book should play out from there. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, it's sort of very much just a process of um, 
uh, just exploring um, very early on and then figuring out um, yeah, what parts are more interesting. Can you give us an idea of the timeline? Like, you know, when you when the light bulb first occurred and when did you then start writing in earnest and how long it took for the first draft? Yeah, I mean, this always sounds more impressive than it really is, but I think I did the first, the first words on this idea would have been maybe seven years ago. Um, and yeah, I mean, that sounds like I've been working on it for seven years, which is not the case. Um, it's, it's me coming back to the idea a few times uh, or many times over that period and messing around with it for a few weeks and then deciding it's not working yet and leaving it and then coming back mm. later. So um, I, I did start it a long time ago. It used to be a completely different story. Um, it used to be a story about this team of um, people who could, um, who offered a service to very wealthy people where if you lost something irreplaceable, like a, a childhood teddy bear, Mm. Um, they would get it back for you by traveling into an um, parallel dimension and stealing it from another version of you. And then they bring <laughs> it back. Um, so this sounded like a great idea to me. And I tried to make that idea work uh, over and over, um, over many years. And it's, I think this happens to many writers, not just myself, but sometimes there are these ideas that seem good in your head, but when mm. you go to write them as novels, they just don't work. Um, and I try to tell myself that it's not because I'm a terrible writer who just can't make them work, that it's actually the idea's fault. And it's, uh, it's just not as, as um, good as you think it is. Yeah. So anyway, it was only once I sort of um, wrote more chapters uh, trying to find a way into this idea that I stumbled upon the situation of, of Madison May and this, mm -hmm. uh, this man who, um, in quotes, loves her, and uh, that that opened up uh, a door into a whole bunch of issues that I found interesting. And so, so the story after that um, unfolded pretty quick. I probably wrote the last three quarters of it um, in maybe five months. Um, wow. And yeah, so it was yeah very quick once I got to that point. So um, talk me through, pretend it's the five months. We're talking about the five months. So you're in the, you know, depths of writing. What does... Can you describe your day? Do you have a writing routine? Um, do you have a particular place that you like to write? Do you have a certain number of hours that you, you know, uh, that you aim for? Just take us through your day. Okay, my I, my day now is is pretty um, ad hoc. So I used to have more interesting routines. Um, at the moment, I'm just um, sort of doing it whenever I can fit it in amongst different stuff, which is um, a bit depressing. But um, I do plan to get back on track with that. Um, a, a thing I tried for a while, which I've actually stopped doing, but um, I do think this is useful for writers who are sort of struggling to finish that first draft, um, which was a word ceiling. Like I, I used to hear all these um, tips about writing a minimum number of words a day. And, mm. and I even tried to do that myself once where um, actually when we moved to Perth, my wife and I, and I had left Hewlett Packard and I was going to write full time essentially. I thought I'm going to treat this like my real job. So I, um, I set myself business hours um, and <laughs> I, I think I even wore a suit on my first day. I, I don't think that lasted more than a wow. day, or two, but I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to, you know, get, treat this as seriously as I did uh, my previous job at, at least. So yeah, I did that. Um, and I set myself a target of 2000 words a day and I managed to hit it pretty much every day. But oh I God. also wrote just the worst novel the world has ever seen. It was just <laughs> such a waste of my time. And, and I could feel that as I was writing it, it was just never going to work um, because I was just trying to hit that target. So what I tried 
later was this uh, idea of a word ceiling where I said, I'm not allowed to write more than 500 words per day. And if I get to 500, I have to stop. And I found that was actually a pretty good technique um, because 500 words per day is still not bad. I think you still get like a first draft out of that in um, like six months. Mm. Um, And so it made me think about it in a different way where I think I've only got 500 words today. What can I do with it? And so I think it put me in a frame of mind where I would think more positively about sitting down at the keyboard than the kind of dread of, oh, my God, here we go. I've got to get 2000 words out of this thing somehow. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like I'm probably at the point now where I can write a bit more confidently without needing to do that. But I do recommend that technique for people who are sort of struggling against the beast of, of trying to get through that first draft, uh, which yeah, is an enormous to. task. Mm. And so are you more like a morning writer or does the 500 words, do they, are they spread out through the day? Do you have a cutoff time where, where you decide I'm not going to write anymore? I, my only real guiding principle is that I want to make sure that when I start writing, I, I feel like it. I never want to be in a frame of mind where I feel like I've dragged myself to the keyboard because I just feel like when I'm happiest and I want to be writing, that's when it works. Um, so aside from that, I'm prepared to be flexible on anything. But that said, I definitely do work better in the mornings. Um, I, if I've had lunch and like something heavy, then I'm just a write-off <laughs> for the afternoon. So that's no good. Um, although if there's sort of, I'm getting towards the end of the day and I realize that I've only got 45 minutes left before, um, it's going to be time to go down and, and do dinner stuff with the kids, then yeah, that, that sort of deadline and that panic does help a little bit where I might start suddenly furiously writing as well. So yeah, I don't have much of a routine. I I used to have a good one before I had kids where I would fall out of bed and, and get a coffee and then start writing immediately. And I'd write for about three hours, getting increasingly hungry, hungry and, and dizzy and um, more uh, delusional. And that was actually kind of productive from a creative point of view. Then I'd have breakfast about 11 o'clock and, and be wiped out for the rest of the day. So I'm not sure if that actually makes any sense for anyone either. But, um, but that was, yeah, that was sort of something I could do pre-kids. Yeah, right. Um, so <clears throat> now, because you started thinking about this book or bits of this book seven years ago, now that this book is out, are you working on the next one? And when did that idea form? Right, yeah. So what I ha- what happened with Madison May is it was one of three or four books I was working on at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so they all basically finished around the same time as well, um, which is why I had a book out last year and I've got um, Madison May out now and there's um, an audio project coming along in a few months as well. Um, So I sort of cleared the decks on Madison May and I've spent the last uh, probably nine months since I finished it exploring new ideas. Uh, But yeah, at the moment, they're all still sort of stuck in that quite early state. So yeah, I don't know what my next book will be from here. Um, It's it's kind of... um, a bit uh i don't think it's ideal to like get this late before getting far <laughs> down the road with the next book because now i'm in the point where i'm reading reviews of madison may and i'm still trying to decide what kind of book this is that i'm working on next so uh ideally i would be able to shut all that out and just completely focus on the next book without thinking about what people might expect um mm. so i would try to do that um but uh yeah that's where i am at the moment What was the most challenging thing about writing this particular book? I think I did more research on this book than any book I've written before. 
Uh, mm. It's quite grounded um, in the real world, whereas um, plenty of my others have been a bit more fanciful or in the case of Providence, it was actually set in outer space. So they were mm. more uh, flights of fancy than books that were um, very much about real people doing real things. So yeah, there was there was a ton of that. Um, and uh, what kind luckily, of research? What kind of research? Oh, just really practical stuff about you know, like if you live in um, Brooklyn, like where do you live? Where do you go? Which train right. do you catch? Just mm. all that sort of stuff. Um, so I um, yeah, I did a lot of that, which you can sort of do on the internet nowadays uh, without too much trouble. But mm. um, yeah, it was quite different for me because I've always had a bit of a uh, wary relationship with research where I feel like occasionally research can be the enemy of a good idea where if it's in your head and it's like it's working for a narrative point of view I think it's often a good idea just to to run with that and then make it fit with the real world later rather than start doing research and and let your idea start to get stale while mm. you go figure out you know how it should work practically and uh, and then the real world turns out to be a little less interesting than you imagined. And so, you know, maybe you lose a little something in that process. Um, but yeah, yeah, striking that balance between research and imagination is often a challenge for writers. And, and I tend to prefer the imagination side of it to, to just go with the story wherever it leads you and, and fix the plot holes later. Um, mm. But yeah, it was, it was quite refreshing to, to try something that was more grounded and, and did require more research so um yeah i enjoyed that too so this uh story is set in america well new york and various realities and if correct me if i'm wrong because um it was a lifetime ago that i read syrup that was also set in america right yes why yes, do you <laughs> have you set your stories <laughs> so this is what happened i i wrote a novel syrup that was a satire of the marketing industry and it's a comedy and it's an over-the-top story about people who are trying to market themselves in this ultra-competitive industry and it didn't make sense to me to set this story anywhere other than Los Angeles which is mm -hmm. the most superficial over-the-top place I could think of so that's that's where it took place um so I was then picked up by an American publisher and I realized that I had an American readership, um, which was uh, actually quite a lot bigger than my Australian readership. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't sure how I should handle that next. Like if I wrote a story that was set oh. in Australia, I wasn't sure how I could do that without either confusing Americans or patronizing mm -hmm. Australians. <laughs> so um, I wound up writing Jennifer Government, which is a science fiction story set in uh, an Americanized Australia, where Australia is essentially part of the United States and the world is run by major corporations, um, like today, only more so. And um, yeah, so I, since then, I have been doing stories that are pretty aware of their American readership. So mm -hmm. I think you can tell that they're by an Australian if you look closely but they are mostly set in the US um, and they, yeah, they, they sort of um, are written from the perspective. Like I write them in American English um, yes. and yeah, I'm sort of aware of, of the people who are reading them, reading the books uh, from that country. And do you spend much time in America? Well, no, I, I haven't <laughs> been there much at all. Like Syrup was published the first time I went over there um, Actually, I went there once on a business trip for Hewlett Packard. So I must have been halfway through writing the book at that point. 
-hmm. And then the next time I went to the States was when my book was being published. So I took the opportunity, my wife and I, to go live there in New York for six months just because we thought that was incredibly cool and the publisher was paying paying for my flight. So so why not? Mm. Um, And we we flew over there. We're both in our early 20s and we discovered that uh, apartments in New York are really terrible compared to what you would expect in Australia. So that was Mm. an eye-opening experience. But that was that was super fun. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, it didn't really make a difference back then because, you know, again, it was syrup is this like over the top um, comedy and it wasn't mm. set in the real United States so much as the, um, the the United States you see on TV and in the movies where everything's a bit hyper real. Mm. Um, so, yeah, since then, um, I yeah, I've gone over there for book tours mostly. So quite a few times now. Um, but I was so disappointed when um, when COVID happened because it was mm. my one chance to leave the house um, for yeah. years and years. And uh, uh, Providence came out on March 31st. In oh, my God. Right. Yeah, in, yeah right which is not thing, yeah. great timing. Yeah, mm. so everything got cancelled basically a week before I was leaving. Um, <gasps> and, yeah. And then at the time I thought, well, you know, this is really disappointing Oh, it was super disappointing too because I'd um, arranged for my daughter who's um, now 15 to come with me and it was going to be her first chance to go over there and, and see that dad actually does something other than <laughs> sit upstairs in his study all day long. Uh, so that was cancelled. Uh, but I thought at least, you know, we've missed out on this time, but I knew I had this other book, Madison May, coming out in, um, in 12 months' time. So I thought the pandemic will definitely be over by then. So I'll, I'll travel over to the States in 2021. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, we haven't quite fixed the pandemic yet. So here I am. No. Now, just take us back to you were a sales rep, I think you said, at Hewlett Packard. There are some people who are listening to this who are in corporate jobs and who have this yearning to write. Um, so, specifically to them, what would your top three tips be if they're kind of faced with that push-pull, do I stay in this, do I make a go of it, you know, how do I make a go of it? What's your top three tips to them on what they should do? Yeah, Um, I guess the first thing is to, um, uh, well, there's a few. Um, I'll try to get the the most essential things. The, Mm. The first thing is to, to write what makes you happy um to find time for that wherever you can um to uh second one's probably to um not worry so much about the publication side until you have a um complete book um i think a lot of people get a bit ahead of themselves and start thinking about you know how do i get this published when they're they're two chapters in um Mm. and you can't do that you do need to actually finish the book um which is really difficult um a first draft of a novel is enormously difficult no matter who you are um and finishing a first draft is an enormous accomplishment no matter who you are and and regardless of whether it actually turns into a book on a shelf Mm. um and yeah the the third thing i guess would be never to expect that there would be a time where it makes sense to chuck in the job um and try (laughs) writing or you know whatever you want to do um whether it's whether it's writing a book or or moving to the country or or anything else um we do sometimes just need to leap without looking um because the the practical side of it uh is very easy to 
you know, to see oh, could, this could go wrong or that could go wrong. And sometimes you do just need to do things that don't make sense um, because you want to do them. Um, so yeah, that would that would be my advice. Um, yeah, and if it works out, it works out. And if it doesn't, you probably have um, an interesting experience and learn a bit from it. So um, yeah, that's that's my three. Great advice, great advice. So congratulations on the 22 murders of Madison May. Thank you so much for your time today. And I hope it doesn't take another 22 years before we chat again. Thank you so yeah, much, I Max. I hope so too. Thank you. <laughs> there you go, Max Barry. Well, that was excellent. I, we gave away his book uh, a few episodes ago, I believe. Yes. I remember you talking about it and I thinking it sounded like a really interesting premise at that at that time. Mm, mm, yeah, it's really cool. Um, <clears throat> and uh, and it was just cool to be able to chat to Max again, you know, 22 years later or whatever. After 22 years. Yeah, it can't yeah, possibly ridiculous. be 22 years, can it? Something like that. Yeah, crazy, right? So it's 22 anyway. years and 22 murders. Oh, my God. Oh, Valerie, <laughs> it's like he's been waiting for this moment to have the conversation with you. Oh, my God. How did you not pick up on that? Come on, girl. That was your hook right there. Oh, dear. All right. <clears throat> uh, we're now at the end of this week's episode. So what are you doing in the coming week, Al? Well, I'm going to be talking to you, which I'm really <laughs> looking forward to. And drinking wine or something. Yes, I don't actually know what yet. I haven't checked the fridge. Um, I'm going to be getting ready for um, another sort of big event that I'm doing over in Your Kids Next Read. I'm going to be hopefully posting out books because we've got a bit of a special happening Ooh, there. Yeah. Yes, which is going to be more details about that very soon. Yes. And, um, yeah, what else will I be doing? You know, hanging out with my dog really and thinking up, dreaming up picture books probably. Fantastic. Sounds good. Um, well, yes, I'm looking forward to chatting to you too and also seeing um, and also doing the party. Party, party, doing party. Doing the party. So exactly. Really excited we to have you party. all on the party. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I need Come to go us. buy a hat. You need a hat? Well, you can just borrow one. Borrowed hats I are always good. Yeah, I don't know. You can't go places. I have to, I don't know. I have oh, to make one. that's right. You can't go places. See, we can still mm, go places. Mm. Oh, okay. Mm, sorry. <laughs> All right. Sorry. Uh, where do we find you online, Al? You'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at, at Altait, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you will find me on Facebook and Instagram where I've been exploring the wonderful world of reels, so please come and have a look. Um, you'll find me there at Alison Tate Writer. And you, Val, where do we find you? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, -O, on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more. <laughs>